Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host Shabir Ahmed. In the previous episode, we looked into the various ways that natural resources affect politics and some of the effects that natural resource wealth has on a particular country. We also cited a few examples to illustrate these effects. It has been well established that the extractive sector is more prone to poor governance and corruption. In this episode, we are going to take a closer look at corruption trends in the extractive sector. In the first part of the discussion, we will focus on the corruption risks applicable across the extractive sector decision chain. In the second part, we will mention a few case studies from different countries that demonstrate corruption in its various forms. Many researchers have argued that the presence of natural resources can be a curse rather than a blessing. We previously spoke about the resource curse theory which postulates that the presence of natural resource endowments means large volumes of revenues which many groups may compete for thus promoting rent-seeking behavior or intense competition to control or influence state institutions the ability to rely on resource rents rather than on income from taxation of their citizens can also make it easier for governments to act in unaccountable ways moreover corruption may occur directly within the natural resource governance system this can lead to poor use of resources and poor development outcomes in terms of economic growth and poverty reduction extractive sectors are usually technically and structurally complex including related legal commercial and fiscal arrangements making it easier for those who manipulate revenue flows for political or personal gain to conceal their activities since extractives operations are often environmentally and socially very sensitive the sector requires extensive regulation thus presenting new corruption risks these risks involve companies having to pay for cutting corners with regard to environmental rules and where officials create additional red tape and hold-ups to extract more undue payments in fact transparency international's bribe payers index reveals that mining oil and gas sectors are among the sectors in which foreign companies are most likely to pay bribes corruption risks in the extractive sector can occur in every step of the extractives industry's value chain there are four main steps and we will be looking at the risks associated with each the first step involves awarding of contracts and licenses the awarding of contracts and licenses is an area that is assessed to be particularly vulnerable to corruption award criteria access to information and the selection process can be manipulated for corrupt processes the awarding of contracts can create incentives for corruption such as firms attempting to influence government decision making through bribery 
or firms with political contacts being given preferential treatment. The license agreements themselves can also be exposed to corruption in terms of determining the area of exploitation, the cost recovery basis, the licensee's share of the profits, the length of operation, the rate of production, environmental concerns, end-phase commitments, as well as reporting and control commitments. The second step is related to the regulation and monitoring of operations. The extractive sector is exposed to a number of corruption risks during the operation process. This includes undue influence by special interests on the enforcement of sector policies, administrative corruption in the form of officials extracting corrupt benefits in exchange for administrative approvals, and grand corruption where public funds are diverted into private pockets. As such, a necessary process in the extractive's value chain is the monitoring of operations. In particular, this means establishing regulatory capacity to monitor operations, ideally complemented by some element of participatory monitoring. The third step deals with the collection of taxes and royalties. Extractive operations are subject to a wide range of rent collection, many that are also specific to the industry. These include, in addition to taxes, royalties, duties, surface fees, signature bonuses, production sharing, dividends, etc. There are therefore great volumes of revenue at stake, making them attractive for corrupt practices both by government officials and companies. This is particularly the case when there is no transparency and accountability in the manner in which these payments are collected and reported on. The fourth step involves revenue distribution and management. As the revenues begin to flow, the government must decide how to make effective use of them. This requires deciding how much to save, how much to spend, and what to spend on. As with any government budget, this can be susceptible to corruption when carried out with limited oversight, transparency, accountability, as well as community participation. Without disclosure, citizens are unable to assess whether revenues are spent efficiently and equitably. Weak institutions and mechanisms to manage and spend resources can lead to significant losses and waste. Let us now cite a few examples of corruption cases from around the world. One of the famous examples commonly quoted in the literature is Brazil's car wash scheme. Details of this scandal emerged after investigation known as Operation Car Wash began in March 2014. 
The investigation looked into allegations that executives at the state oil company, Petrobras, had accepted bribes from construction firms in return for awarding them contracts at inflated prices. Investigation initially focused on agents known as doleros, or black market money dealers who used small businesses such as petrol stations and car washes to launder the profits of the crime, hence the name car wash scheme. But police soon realized that they were onto something much bigger when they discovered that the Toleros were working on behalf of an executive at Petrobras. Paolo Roberto Costa, the director of refining and supply. This link led prosecutors to uncover a vast and extraordinary intricate web of corruption. Under questioning, Costa described how he, Nesto Chevero, a senior executive, and other Petrobras directors had been deliberately overpaying on contracts with various companies for office construction, drilling rigs, refineries, and exploration vessels. The contractors they were paying had formed an agreement to ensure they were guaranteed business on excessively lucrative terms if they agreed to channel a share of between 1% and 5% of every deal into secret slush funds. After diverting millions of dollars into those funds, Petrobras directors then used them to funnel money to the politicians who had appointed them in the first place and to the political parties they represented. The main objective of the racket, which fleeced taxpayers and shareholders out of billions of dollars, was to fund election campaigns to keep the governing coalition in power. But it wasn't just politicians who benefited. Everyone connected to the deals received a bribe, in cash or sometimes in the form of luxury cars, expensive artworks, Rolex watches, $3,000 bottles of wine, yachts and helicopters. Huge sums were deposited into Swiss bank accounts or laundered via overseas property deals or smaller companies. The means of transfer were deliberately complicated in order to hide the money's origins or low-tech to keep it off the books. Prosecutors discovered that elderly mules were flying from city to city with shrink-wrapped bricks of cash strapped to their bodies. Sometimes bribery can take a very basic form. In 2010, a Canadian company called Griffiths paid around $2 million in bribes, plus some shares in the company to a government official from Chad, as part of their quest to secure rights to several oil blocks in the country. Griffiths transferred the funds to a company set up in the name of the government official's wife. The bribery was discovered and Griffiths had to pay a $10 million fine to the Canadian government 
but the company went on to sell their oil blocks in Chad for $1.2 billion a few years later. So the bribes still certainly paid off. Nigeria is a country often cited as one of the worst examples of corruption. It is estimated that senior officials have stolen at least 50 billion US dollars from oil revenues since the mid-1960s. The theft of large sums of money by those in positions of significant power is often called grand corruption. It seems to flourish in those societies where access to information is limited and revenue flows lack transparency. In situations where civil society is unable to know how much money is being earned through resource extraction, the opportunity for embezzlement is high. More recently, the former petroleum minister, Teizani Alison Madueke, was implicated in awarding several huge oil deals to companies headed by her loyal henchmen. These individuals went on to make billions of dollars, some of which they would then use to help the minister out buying her expensive properties and furniture and doing her political dirty work as well. The last case we will mention comes from Angola. Between 1997 and 2002, unaccounted funds from Angola's industry amounted to 4.2 billion US dollars. In the same years, total social spending in the country, including Angolan government spending as well, as public and private initiatives funded through the United Nations Consolidated Interagency Appeal amounted to 4.27 billion US dollars. Through grand corruption, many of the country's political elite are rumored to have accumulated staggering personal wealth. It has been reported that nearly 50 Angolans in position of public office each had personal wealth of more than 50 US million dollars, while it is estimated that 10 had personal wealth in excess of 100 US million dollars. The richest seven Angolans were in the government, and President Dos Santos was believed to be the wealthiest of them all. It is worth mentioning that there is another trend that is being observed. Corruption in the extractive sector takes both legal and illegal forms, especially in kleptocracies where corruption takes on truly systemic proportions. The political elites can manipulate the oil sector without fearing any repercussions from law enforcement. After all, they are the ones who write the rules of the game, so they don't have to worry about breaking them. Research into corruption trends also reveals that none of the major corruption cases examined would have been possible without the help of various international enablers. There are several categories of enablers. 
international oil and mining companies often sit at the margins of corrupt deals making the sector work despite its criminal components. Lawyers and accountants help corrupt actors to structure their deals and launder funds. The Panama Papers leak revealed the extensive global network of shell companies and bank accounts that corrupt actors can use to launder their ill-gotten wealth. These are often based in jurisdictions which deliberately make it easy to set up companies in secret, including places like the Cayman Islands and also in certain parts of the United States. Once the illicit funds enter these offshore shell companies, it is much easier to use them to acquire other assets like real estate in safe, desirable locations like New York and London. As a result of all these international enablers, Tackling corruption in resource-rich countries requires action by many countries around the world. To conclude, extractive sector corruption will continue to pose corruption risks because there is just too much money at stake. However, we know what tools are needed to tackle this challenge. They just need to be deployed in a much more urgent and comprehensive manner. And we have seen how many resource-rich countries have successfully managed to minimize corruption. I hope that you will join me on the next episode in which we will focus on good practices in mitigating corruption risks in the extractive sector. Thank you for your time.